0: Stories from around the corner
1: and around the country.
0: You're listening to All the Best.
1: Proudly supported by the Art Gallery of New South Wales.
0: Before we get into this week's stories, I'd like to take a moment to acknowledge that I'm recording from stolen Gadigal land and pay my respect to Gadigal elders, past and present. As well as recognise that the area where FBI radio is situated, Redfern has long been a place of storytelling, strength, resistance and resilience for First Nations communities. Hey, I'm Danny Stewart and you're listening to All The Best on FBI 94.5. This week, the importance of creating accessible spaces for children's stories. Tess worked in children's book publishing for four years as a project editor. But as much as she loved children's books, the work was underpaid and stressful. When Tess developed a heart condition, she could no longer deal with the stress. In June 2022, Tess handed in her resignation. On that same day, a conversation with a friend led to the launch of Slingshot, Tess's very own children's publishing company. Up first, all the best editorial manager Mel chats to Tess about Slingshot and her hopes for the future. What was your favourite book when you were a kid?
1: Okay, so I definitely didn't have a favourite and I kept a book with a list of everything I'd ever read in it and I read at pace. Um, but I have a really strong memory of reading Alice in Wonderland, which in retrospect, is you know problematic because of how horrifically treated um, the little muse was. Uh, but I remember reading Alice in Wonderland in the sand dunes in Northwestern Australia. Um, and I would walk into the sand dunes, we were really remote, camping, and I'd just be surrounded by big white dunes and nothing else. All I could see was dunes and sky. And I'd be reading Alice in Wonderland and it was just, I was having the trippiest experience of my life. And I remember thinking like, this is it. Like, this is peak experience. You
2: were working in publishing for a few years? Yeah, four years. Four years, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, Two different roles. Mm -hmm. Um,
2: What was that experience like and why did you
1: decide to leave? Well... (laughs) I mean, I learnt so much in the space of four years. I found it really stressful. My nervous system didn't respond well to being in a publishing house. Um, I think people aren't supposed to be in spaces where you can't open windows and where there's neon lighting and an air-conditioned environment for eight hours straight staring at a screen. The primary reason why I left was that I could see that I was never going to be able to earn enough money to buy a house within this industry or at least I I wouldn't for many, many years to come and during that time I would be exerting enormous effort and practising a really high-level niche skill set and not really being adequately remunerated for it.
2: All right, well, let's move on to brighter things Mm. and talk about Slingshot. How did Slingshot
1: start? Uh, So perhaps partially due to the stress of working in the publishing industry, which it's publicly known to be a very underpaid, overworked environment, I got a heart condition um, and obviously it wasn't purely due to the stress, but the stress definitely exacerbated it. And I realised I couldn't quit being a mum and I couldn't quit housework, but I could quit my job. And that was the only thing that I could do to improve my health. So I just had to make that unbearably difficult decision to leave the books that I cared about so much behind and take a big rest. And true to form, within a week of taking a big rest, I was filling out a grant application to start my own publishing company. (laughs) So... um, I rested while the grant application was processed and then when I received the news that I'd won the grant, I got cracking. So <laughs> Yeah.
2: <laughs> so big question, but what are you hoping that Slingshot will achieve?
1: Yeah, um, well, I feel like under capitalism... You can only take so much risk in creative production and the publishing industry in Australia, in my view, is extremely risk-averse and prioritises capital over making a rich cultural contribution a lot of the time. And the idea of Slingshot, for me, is to ensure that I'm making my bread and butter elsewhere so that I can be making choices that aren't affected by that kind of commercial desperation, <laughs> that financial desperation that leads to the cultural landscape we find ourselves in most of the time and the existential dread that I feel when I walk into a children's bookstore and 80% of the content smells disposable to me. Um, I hope to make books that are politically radical while staying really child-centred, and that's a huge question mark around how that's done. It's a real balancing act. And I also hope to make books that take big experimental creative risks. And you can only do that if you are choosing to fly in the face of commercial cynicism. Mm.
2: Do you think that children's books are inherently political?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that most of the children's books we see are liberal and centrist in their values and that at worst, they prevent children from realising that we get to decide how this world looks to a certain extent, that we have agency and that we're able to critically engage with whatever is considered to be the norm, whatever we feel like is the water that we're just swimming in is up for debate. Mm, Totally political titles um, at the moment for children are so earnest and hand-wringing and they all seem to be directed at parents rather than children and I look at them and often feel like this should have been a parenting book Mm -hmm. and this shouldn't be the it shouldn't be the burden of the child to actually engage with this content it's not their job to change our world it's our job to change the world for them like we are the caregivers and I feel like a lot of the political titles are engaged in a kind of subtle parentification, um, making it their problem, making the world's issues their problem. And so to make radical content for me is about raising really critical, switched on kids who know that it's not their responsibility to fix everything Mm. and that children deserve joy Mm. and that that's such a tension as well. And so when I talk about making radical content, I'm not talking about making earnest, serious, hand-wringing, burdensome content. In fact, it's central to my politics that I don't do that. Mm. I should also say... Mm. The list I'm building is primarily made up of people who've never made children's books before. They're comic artists who've made stuff for adults. They're poets who've won awards. They're uh, highly successful contemporary visual artists and they're all people who I've seen have a propensity for having a child-centred approach. They just haven't put that into... The context of a children's book before. And I'm so excited about working with these people because I feel like they're the ones who have the potential to radically change up children's publishing because they're not conditioned by the expectations and the norms of the field.
2: I know that there's at least one of your upcoming titles that you can't talk about, but can you give us like a preview of any of your titles or like what, what your next step is, I guess?
1: Uh, well, I can say that I have a plan for six upcoming paperback picture books that will be accessible to low income earners, which is super important to me. I'm a single parent. I'm on parenting payments. The idea that I would be making a book that people like me couldn't afford, um, is completely unacceptable to me. So I'm working on a subscription model that will make each of those books a little cheaper and then there'll be a surprise that arrives in the mail every second month for children, i.e. a picture book, or people can just buy individual titles and they'll all be under $15 and even less with the subscription model. So that radically shifts the the standard of the $24.99 hardback
2: Uh, Apart from affordability, Mm. you're looking at some other accessibility options as well for your publishing?
1: Yeah. So um, audiobooks are really important to me and I'm making them free of charge on the website and there'll be two different versions of the audiobooks. One will be like a talking book where there's a sound signature um, encouraging the child to turn the page and just a a read-through of the text so that a child whose caregiver for any reason hasn't got the capacity to read to them can uh, hop online and press play. And then there'll be another option for children who are blind or vision impaired that will incorporate the text with image descriptions. And this is something that I haven't actually seen done before. And I'm really excited about the possibility of, and I'll be consulting Vision Australia on this to get it hopefully right. I'll be working with someone who, a friend of mine, Afsaneh, who, who works with uh, a children's theatre company. And I think that if I, if I work with her, it's going to be a really interesting outcome. I think she's going to come up with some really wonderful ideas around making it a really rich multisensory experience for kids. Awesome. It's mm. a great idea. Mm. And then there will also be a very exciting hardback coming up in October, which is the kind of book that absolutely no commercial publishing company would make. Not because it isn't going to be successful and popular, but because it's going to be politically impossible for a commercial publisher to support due to its radical uh, anti-establishment values. Awesome.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, so if people want to keep their eye out for that, where can, they, or where can they follow you?
1: The Slingshot Insta is the best place to follow this journey and the website will launch in time for our first title, so probably in late September. Great. Is that at Slingshot Books?
0: At Slingshot Books. That was Mel Chun talking to Tess Cullody, founder of Slingshot Books. You're listening to All The Best on FBI 94.5. I'm Danny Stewart. All The Best is a great place to learn the art of audio storytelling. Never made a story before? No problem. No experience is required. If you'd like to make a story for the show, get in touch. Visit allthebestradio.com. Next up, Christina shares her ode to libraries and reflects on the colourful and constant presence books have had in her life.
3: Shh! I want to tell you about all the libraries in my life. Starting with... The library that wasn't there Let me set the scene. No, I think I'm not set in the right mood. It's all wrong. Let me select something a bit more pensive.: Pensive, adjective, musingly or dreamily thoughtful, a pensive young poet, suggestive of sad thoughtfulness, her face had the pensive mournfulness of a seraph in an old sad painting. That's better. So, there wasn't any public library in my city when I was little. I only received books for Christmas or for my birthday because, uh, I mean, we weren't poor, poor, but also not rich enough to give me books every time I wanted to read one. But then, when I was 11, my old primary school created a library for its students, And uh, even though I had just graduated, they let me get a library card to borrow books. Can you imagine my excitement when I filled in my very first book request? No, you cannot. Because you probably grew up in a city full of public libraries. But for me, it was magic. Imagine me, full of excitement, feeling like the heroine of my books while completing the library card, actually pretending that I knew how to fill it in and too proud to ask for help. I am going home with my brand new book and I'll read it in a couple of days. Finally, I can read as fast as I want because, uh, hey, now there is a library in town and I can borrow three books a month and I have a shelf full of books for me to read. Stop there for a second. Yes, I know that as a listener you should be allowed some freedom, but I know where this is going. And I need to change the music to put you in the right mood so that you, as a listener, have enough time to sit in the mood and to absorb it, right? And now something terrible is about to happen. I might also add a couple of thunders. They're always good to signal that something horrible is about to happen. Follow me to the kitchen. I am at home. I am about to return the book to the library. A second ago, I left the book on the kitchen table, being careful that the table is clean. I'm just going to the toilet before going out and... uh, I witnessed the horrific view of my mother carving indelible scars on the shiny book cover as she uses it as a support to write a shopping list. The bright blues and greens of the thick cover of my very first library book now ruined forever be with me please stay with me as i cry mortified Mum is unable to understand what's the big deal and why i am behaving like a small child for what i'll do my mother Ma cos'è che c'hai? Perché stai piangendo? Ma la vuoi smettere di piangere? Translation from the Italian. What's the matter with you? Why are you crying? Will you please stop crying? Don't leave me alone, please. Accompany me to return the book to the library. There is no spring in my step. I look sad and I feel scared and guilty for mutilating the once immaculate book. You don't need to squint to notice the wounds on the cover. Come with me. As I fearfully enter the library and walk to the big table. The librarian doesn't look at me, but she looks at the book and notices immediately the disfigurement. And she freaks out. She starts screaming in front of everybody. And you might not be surprised that I remember exactly what she said. (laughs) Guarda com'e hai rovinato questo libro nuovo. Siete degli animali. Non meritate niente. Let this feeling sink, because uh, it's a feeling that is heavy and with long-lasting consequences. Because that was the last time I visited a library, any library, until I went to uni. And at uni is where we find library number two. Let's call this chapter Library at Night. We won't stay long in this library, but before I start, I need to set the scene. Picture an old building in the most exquisite fascist architecture, with columns, uh, Latin inscriptions, Uh, you got the idea. It's night. No, I didn't say summer night, I just said night. It's night, winter night. I'm not in the library, but outside, at a distance. From where I am, I look at the reading room through the huge windows, and it feels like the movies. It's almost 8 p.m. I have been staring at the windows for at least one hour. Inside the library is the boy who crushed my heart. He's now dating another girl. You there with him inside the library. I spy on them. I watch every time they go outside to smoke. Every time they leave the page to talk to each other. And every word that I cannot hear, every glance that I can see very clearly It's another step in my heart. Stay with me just a moment. Can you see how cold I feel, leaning on the stone wall? Can you hear the wind? The library closes at 8 sharp. It's better if we go now. I don't want him to see me here as he drives by to take her home. We are almost finished. Just one more. Bibliothek der Kinderklinik. We are in Berlin, before the wall came down, and precisely in the library of the children's clinic in Schloss Charlottenburg, a real castle. This is going to be a very short chapter, a happy tale. Let me introduce you to... Frau Schumacher, the head of the library. Let's start setting the scene. I am in my twenties. I have left behind a library at uni and the boy who broke my heart. And uh, I am now having the time of my life in Berlin. Berlin in the 80s, before the wall came down. I have been assigned to this library as part of a program for young unemployed. I mean, I'm not unemployed as such because uh, I am attending uni in my hometown in Italy, but this is before the internet. And for the German bureaucracy, I am a young unemployed person. So they offered me a part-time job as assistant to head librarian, Frau Schumacher. Frau Schumacher is just as you imagine her, a blonde middle-aged Valkyrie, very German, very traditional, a woman who has always a strong opinion about everything so frau schumacher hates that the library is introducing a computerized system she hates that the doctors consulting the library never bring back the volumes in time always overdue frau schumacher hates all sort of things and most people but frau schumacher loves me unconditionally because uh, Unlike many other young people assigned to the library in the past, I love books. Can you see me? Grown up and independent in fabulous Berlin of the eighties. I am all smiles. And uh, even though Frau Schumacher is a meddler and I am very protective of my private life. I reciprocate her love because uh, every couple of months Schumacher allows me to travel to Italy so that I can sit my university exams and then uh, she has me working uh, full-time for a couple of weeks to level out the hours. We are almost at the end of my libraries. But I must ask you one last thing accompany me back to the library at uni in italy remember no no all wrong it's not night anymore it is daytime now a glorious winter morning with so much light and sun and i am standing next to the very library because uh, i just left the aula magna the big pompous lecture hall where i was bestowed my diploma To become the first person in my family to earn a university degree. Applause! Applause! Applause to me! Beh, ancora qua? È finito. Andate, dai.
0: That story was produced by Christina Mares. You can find out more about her work at christinamardes.com. All the Best would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands on which we make these stories and pay our respects to Elders past and present. All the Best is made at FBI Radio on Gadigal Land in association with SIN and 3RRR on Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung, and Wurumurrung lands, and ACCC on Arunda and Waramungu lands. The All The Best editorial manager is Mel Chun, and Phoebe Adler-Ryan is our production manager. Our social media producer is Timothy Nguyen, Lydia Yosifova is our community coordinator, and Madura Prakash is our trainee. Shining Bird composed our theme music, and Annie Hamilton designed the artwork. We're heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network and were made possible by the Art Gallery of New South Wales and the Community Broadcasting Foundation. You can find our full archive of more than 500 episodes at allthebestradio.com. I'm Danny Stewart. Thanks for listening.